0: Welcome back to PG Keen. I'm Vivian Liddell and this is my podcast. This weekend I visited the home of the inspiring author and maker Betsy Greer. We talked about the divisions in the art world between craft and art and the accompanying hierarchy. For those of you outside of the art world, it might come as a surprise to find that these divisions still or ever existed. To give you a brief primer, craft has been traditionally categorized by the materials used and the function. So fabric to make a quilt would be a craft, not a fine art, since the quilt has a purpose in real life to keep us warm. These days, artists often work between the historical lines that divide art and craft. I do this in my own work, and so Betsy and I talk about our perceptions of the current state of the high art versus low art merger in the contemporary gallery world, and how Our experiences in academia affected our creative trajectories. Betsy is the author of two books, Craftivism, The Art of Craft and Activism, and Knitting for Good, A Guide to Creating Personal, Social, and Political Change Stitch by Stitch. She's very involved and connected, both nationally and globally in the crafting community, and is currently working on the You Are So Very Beautiful project, Creating and Collecting Affirmations, Via handmade signs. Stay tuned at the end of the episode and I'll tell you how you can participate. Her blog, Craftivism, features craftivists from all over the world, sharing their definitions of craftivism and their projects. This is my first Peachy Keen road trip and it had a pretty amusing start. I'm on my way to talk about positive affirmations via the handmade with Betsy. And let me tell you, after my morning drive, I needed some positive affirmations. Luckily, I had five hours to listen to music and podcast and decompress. Alright, I'm here in my car, listening to classic rock on my way up to Durham. It's been a rough start to this morning, guys. Rough start. I'm going to tell you, I'm a little bit late leaving and I got a... trying to get out of town in Athens and there's a race going on, a foot race, people running, which normally I am all about. I get real excited about. They block off our street. That's cool. Me and my kids go and root for them. But this morning I'm like, shit, I have got to get to 441 and there's no way to get there because this race is going on. So anyway, I'm telling you all this because I just want to call out this one person. I just want to talk about how I'm sitting on Broad Street which is like the main thoroughfare through Athens, Georgia. And another main thoroughfare, Millage Avenue, is blocked off because that's where the runners are going through. And I've been sitting here for like 10 minutes, in a long line of cars on the left, there's a cop car, which is clearly blocking off the left lane into downtown. So everybody else is in the right lane. And this woman in a white SUV comes speeding by... To the front of the line and puts her turn signal on. So she like wants to get in, in the first space at the beginning of the line. Now, what I don't understand in this scenario is, so we're in the South. First of all, people have guns in their car. So not a good idea. Second of all, you're violating every societal rule by doing this. If you were in a grocery store, <clears throat> would you butt in front of? of a line that people have been waiting in for an hour? No, you would not. But in her car, somehow she thought this was okay. This is a pet peeve of mine. I cannot stand it when people do this. We're waiting in the line and she just scoots up to the front and then goes. Anyway, I had to call her out here in front of my audience. And if you're one of those people that does that, know that you are there is a special place in hell for you. All right. So, continuing I get frazzled, as I clearly am frazzled. I get frazzled by this woman cutting in line and by the road race when I'm trying to get out of town and take the wrong road out of Athens, which I've lived in for like 20 years. Um. All right, I've upgraded from classic rock. Now I got my uh, Casey Musgraves on. And, uh, I've calmed down substantially. it gets weird or says stuff like this. I okay, have to so I'm approaching still. my final stretch yeah, here final and have uh, moved from artsy podcast into the classic This American Life. I just listened to two episodes of This American Life back to back and cried at the end of both of them. So I'm full on ready to meet up with Betsy. Charlotte. It's it's actually shocking to me that you're from Charlotte because having read your blog a little bit and having read this book and like a lot of these people are from Canada in the book, you know, Mm -hmm. like they're or from they're people, they're international. And I'm thinking maybe she's Canadian. Like that's what I that's what Uh -uh. I was thinking when I'm reading. So how do you have all these international connections in the craft community?
1: Well, I um, so I started out doing I found like craft boards um, in uh, early 2001 and and then just met people, a lot of people all over the US through the craft boards and then a couple people from the UK as well. And then when I moved to London in 2003, I met a ton of people cuz I was living with someone that was doing public knitting events. Mhm. And so her friends would come in and then meeting other people that were just knitting because we would knit in public. And so, so I just met a a ton of people along the way. And then I think studying in London and being an American, being American, I, I don't know how it happened, but like people from Europe found me as well because I had that experience in England and um, that was awesome. It's been a very nice kind of convergence of things happening uh, because I found a lot of times people that are into, you know, like Craft and Amer, and, you know, that live here aren't necessarily as aware of what's happening in other countries necessarily and vice versa. Right. So it's been fun to be like, let me introduce you to this person. And so um, so being in England and being somewhere international like London really helped hmm me kind of bridge that gap. And what was your major in college there? Um, I was a degree in sociology, okay. so I wrote about knitting and community development. Okay. Because I was doing all these public knitting events and doing events at museums with them and having you know interviews on local BBC radio stations and and so having this crazy experience of craft becoming popular, uh, two thousand three, two thousand four over there and met people that that um, I still, you know, talk to and work with today, which yeah. is 14 years later.
0: It's crazy. You you seem very well connected in the craft community. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm coming from the other side of the table. I went to Pratt in fine art in right. New York and consider myself primarily a painter, and I've right. kind of stumbled into the craft world because they you know, they straddle that line, Yeah. which um, you asked me, I told you I was going to force my students to read one of the essays in your craftivism book. And I settled on the Inga Hamilton oh, great. essay, which they really loved. But the reason is because I teach this craft, which is craft media in painting. So mm-hmm. it's a painting. It's a formal yeah. painting class. But mm-hmm. I'm trying to encourage them to break the rules of painting cool. um, and using craft materials. And I felt like that article talked about that. That kind of art, fine art, craft divide. Um, right. So it's interesting to me because I've just now started getting into the craft community because I'm using craft mm-hmm. techniques in my painting. Right. But it's not, I don't know a lot about it. And right. so it's like I'm coming from this opposite world.
1: Right. You know. What do you think of the craft
0: community? <laughs> it's a lot different, you know. Really? And it's, I mean. Well, I'm, yeah, it is, but. It's a lot different than the painting community in mm-hmm. many ways. And, um, you know, as a Southerner, I was much more familiar with craft when I was growing up. Right. So, like, the reason I started using craft techniques is because that's what I learned when I was a little girl. Right. And I was familiar with them. But uh, my mom had me do those stupid kit things, like cross-stitch
1: this sunset picture. Yeah, that was my first cross-stitch. It was a I think it was a cow. Yeah. I think I picked it out at the craft store in Georgia. Yeah. So uh, visiting my grandmother.
0: Okay, so your grandma's from Georgia.
1: And mm-hmm. what part of Georgia? Well, um, they lived in Cartersville, okay. which is in North Georgia. Mm-hmm. She grew up in Lincoln, North Carolina, but um, was living in Atlanta after college and met my grandfather, who
0: always lived in Georgia his entire life. And so, how did you end up in Charlotte? Your
1: family? My dad got a job, uh, and um, he just got a job there, and he didn't really know anyone, but he felt like it was a nice place to raise kids. Right. In the late seventies. So, do you agree with that? So I do. Um, <laughs> there were, you know, um, it's definitely changed a lot over the years, um, but like being kind of this, like, you know, creative, kind of into kind of some punk rock stuff as a kid. There weren't a lot of options in Charlotte for, um, you know, it was like either you were into art or there was no kind of, um, I guess, middle ground. You know, if, if you kind of wanted to experiment with your creativity, there wasn't. There weren't a lot of options there. Now there are. Right. There are. A lot of, there's a big creative community there. But um, when I was growing up, not so much. Or at least I didn't find it. Probably. But uh, so, my brother lives there with his three kids, and my parents live there. And um, what do, where did did you tell me where you went to undergrad? I went well. I went to several colleges. Okay. I started out at Appalachian State. Uh huh. I did this program Boom. called yeah called Watauga College, which is a residential college. Which basically um, is in the early '90s, so it was it was a, kind of being taught by hippies in the basement <laughs> of uh, and so. They introduced us to things like we had like a Seder ceremony and we did Bollywood stuff. And they introduced <clears> us to <throat> different cultures and, um, and religions. How and did you end up there? Uh, I read about it and I was okay. like, this sounds cool. And they were really influenced by the beats. Uh-huh. So we had classes that were like Jack Kerouac oh, instead awesome. of English 101, Yeah. Uh, which did not transfer over when I went to Carolina later on. But then I did a year abroad in Norwich, England, mm-hmm. and then I did my last two years at Carolina. In Chapel okay Hill. so um those yeah, classes in the basement did not transfer over very well yeah <laughs> so I, I graduated in five years but um so yeah that's kind of sounds pretty awesome i was into
0: kerouac and it sounds like we're about the same age too i went to college in the early 90s yeah um, i'm 41 45 yeah so yeah that's uh that time period is pr- i don't know if everybody was reading kerouac but clearly all of my friends or a lot of my friends yeah. were english majors and Kerouac was the thing. It was the thing. On the road, man. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I've, I've recently recommended that to my students, and I'm like, maybe I should reread it, because, like, as a, as a good feminist, all I can remember those those things they did to Marianne or whatever. Was she, like, the main woman character who was, right. like, all I remember was, like, her mopping the floor.
1: You know, she was, like, a very kind of... <laughs> Do you remember? I don't remember that. But I just remember, like... Just lots of drugs. There were lots and then, of drugs. Like, being in college and being like, well, maybe that's how you get creative and thinking these like, and I was like, probably not the best, you know, <laughs> things, you know. But uh, but that was a long time ago, and uh, <laughs> and I, and so you would be like, I have this essay due tomorrow. Let's drink and write it because that's what Kerouac did, exactly. And then it would be a hot mess. But um, so but then I learned that was not the best way. You learn. You do, eventually. <laughs> Some of us, it takes longer than others. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. So, um, So yeah, it seems like such a long time ago now.
0: What kind of craft projects are you working on right
1: now? So, I have my project that I've been doing for the past year and a bit called You Are So Very Beautiful, which is Stitch deformations. So that's kind of my main thing right now, and I have done workshops. So this you are so very beautiful. You are that... so very beautiful. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um. What
1: kind of pieces do you make? Are they so they're little teeny signs. They're about palm, a little smaller than palm size, generally. I think I probably have some. But anyway, so they're um they're yeah they're palm size and they're stitched and they say things like you are kind you are lovely and they have a little border around them and they're backed with felt and I started that in 2015 because I realized that there are things that I needed to hear because there was this app called five minute journal and I heard it recommended and was like I'm gonna try it out so it has like What three things are you grateful for? Like a prompt each morning. What three things are you going to do today that are are really, you know, that are great? And uh, kind of to get you set up for your day. And the last one is um, say an affirmation or put an affirmation. And I had a really hard time with it. I couldn't come up with, like, one word. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and it just felt like I would – the first two questions I would get done really easily – but I would get to this one word. And I remember I would do this on the way to work when I lived in D.C. Or I worked in D.C. And I would always find myself just looking out the window of the bus or the train. And just it, just not wanting to do it. But uh, And because uh, one, word, one word was hard. And I was like, God, this is so sad and pathetic. And I realized that maybe we all needed to hear certain words. So I started making signs. I figured that if I stitched the words, mm-hmm. then they would sink in more. Right, because you're spending that time with them. Right, and so, and then I thought, well, I can't be just me that has this problem because we get negative images all the time from TV, from, um, you know, from ads, from movies, from what we see on our computers. We get negative messages about not being um, good enough or pretty enough or whatever. I was going to say, when you say we... I'm thinking women like a lot it's of times. I mean. yeah, it's a lot about women and and I think, but I think everybody sees stuff that makes right. them feel like they're not enough. and because I think men do too. They just don't talk about it as right. much. And so. I thought, well, what if I made these things and gave them away? Because my friend Sarah Finlothian, who is um in the book and writes actually about guerrilla kindness, has these, these things where she just gives makes things and gives them away. Right. And so I thought, I really like this idea, so I'm going to make these signs and then I'm going to give them away and leave them for people to find, and hopefully whoever needs to hear that message We'll find it. So what are some examples of the messages, like the affirmations? So, um, well, I uh, I just so I des- I decided uh, that I wanted to get a bunch of them and drop them all in one place. So I contacted this artist named Mary England in Baltimore, and we collected about 100 of them together. And what's amazing is there are repeated themes when other people make them, too. So a lot of you are enough. Mm. A lot of you are worthy. A lot of you are loved. For me, making these signs was really a, like a kind of therapeutic.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and then you know, because there are definitely days that since I've been doing this project where I'm like, "Oh, I'm the worst" or whatever. And then, <laughs> and then like one of these signs because I have they I've done this project so much will like fall out of my purse or something. Oh, yeah, like hey, damn it, <laughs> <laughs> I am not the worst. And uh, but we all get caught up in in our own stuff, in our in our own heads. So, um that's kinda of why I started doing that project. Yeah,
0: that you know, I, I've I'm interested in this theme, you know, your project is affirmations. In this book, The Art and Craft of Activism, I noticed one thing that kind of runs through it is a kind of positive vibe. Um, Which I struggle with, you know, I think I'm I don't know. I'm I'm an optimist, but I'm very skeptical. Like I'm a super skeptic. I'm always hopeful that things are gonna be great, but I'm always expecting that they're not gonna be great. You're a hopeful pessimist? Yeah. I think I'm a hopeful (laughs) pessimist. Or a skeptical optimist. One of those things. I don't know. I'm 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 very skeptical, but I always want things to work out for the best. And then looking at so, you know, uh one of my students when they read that Hamilton article, the thing that they said resonated with them was The kind of fact that people see craft as this very positive, you know, they engage with it without any kind of negative connotations to start with, which when you start with painting is really not the case. Like, a lot of people start, approach a painting with a lot of fear. Like, I'm looking at this and I don't know what's happening. I don't understand the history of painting. It makes me feel stupid. Right. Right. Whereas, Nobody feels stupid when they look at cross-stitch. Like, everybody gets it. Um, uh, I guess my question to you in this is that I worry, and this is my own fear as a person, like, I think part of me going into painting and going to Pratt is trying to prove to myself that I'm a valid artist, right? right? So I want to play by all the rules Mm -hmm. and do the things that I'm supposed to do to make real art. Right. right. So now that I've started doing this craft and also like bad craft, like I'm not, I'm sloppy about it. And I've thought a lot about why that is because mm-hmm. I could do it the right way. Right. You know, um, I think a lot about the meaning behind it. Right. And the meaning of like the craft is I'm worried. I'm always worried that it's going to come off as too fluffy. Like people aren't going to take me seriously. And I have like this recently, I had a colleague tell me that my painting was like somebody else's painting, but less dark. And I took that as an insult.
1: (laughs) Really? (laughs) I, I think that I just, I, so I struggled with depression and then, um, and anxiety related to trauma. And, uh, and so spent so many years miserable and in pain and, unhappy and and so for me finding and doing stuff and feeling positive about what I'm doing just feels amazing right. because you spent and then like there are all those years where irony is really cool mm-hmm. and like no one ever I mean like if someone went up and said oh you're so cool like they, you know that that would be this kind of like off the cuff remark it wouldn't be like no you really are cool you wouldn't feel that do you know what I mean like you don't, you would feel like, I don't know, there was this, this kind of cheeky way of talking that it didn't really sink in when you were telling people, you, you know what I mean? Like, um,
0: yeah, like you're, it was the too cool for school's
1: cool. Right. Yeah. And, and it was never just like, <laughs> and you were, you know, you're really great. And then I'm like, no, but I really want to tell you that you are really great. And because I, we we don't take things in fully always we kind of brush them off I think that you know when I was at Pratt I was
0: there for September 11th and then and I was doing these giant paintings of bridesmaids with big eyeballs (laughs) and (laughs) they were horrible and the next day you know everybody went back to school and nobody Mm -hmm. could do their work anymore like everybody felt like everything they were doing wasn't valid now I'm completely sidetracked. What were you just talking about? Literally. Oh, so end of irony. So right. then there was September 12th, and it became a thing when I was in grad school to say that's so September 12th. Right. I mean, so September 10th, oh, meaning right. that it was ironic in a way that was not genuine. Right. That's exactly what was meant by that. So I feel like this whole sincerity that you're talking about that craft has is a is a new thing you know, relatively new.
1: Yeah, and it just feels good. Like um, it feels good to tell people. And my my new kick. And I probably I'm sure that there are people in my life that I maybe work with that are like, oh, that is so obnoxious. But my new <laughs> thing is, <laughs> if I think someone is is really cool or awesome or amazing, I will tell them. And and in, in, in a very probably weirdly authentic way, <laughs> And uh, because i there were so many years where i was just really insular and in my own head that i'm like no wait god people are awesome people do amazing things and so now i'm like complimenting people at the grocery store you know and doing all these things because it feels good and after so many years of being sad and so many years of people being ironic and never being totally honest with each other it feels good to make these pieces that make people feel good. And and for people across the world that have made them, um, they have felt good about it. So they feel good about making them, and they feel good about giving them away. People that find them feel good about it. So it's like a lot of feeling good. And I <laughs> like putting that forth, and, um, and it probably seems probably cheesy to some people, but I know it doesn't to everybody. And I know it sure as heck doesn't to me because I'm really grateful that to feel this good about what I'm making and to feel really authentic about what I'm making. And you're reaching out to
0: so many people like, you know, looking at your blog and your book, like, I mean, that takes a lot of personal bravery which I'm discovering through doing this podcast. Like I just cold emailed you and like, I I love your book and your blog. And I'm like, do you want to meet with me? And wow, you said yes. Like that's really exciting. But I mean, you know, of course isn't necessarily the answer that I would expect, but I see that maybe this is the same kind of attitude that you're trying to work on. I mean, you all
1: you're in touch with so many people and how are you finding all of these people for your blog? Like, yeah, because I haven't written a blog post myself in like a year. Oh, um, really? Uh, maybe I just I have. saw an email from you that like this morning that said there was a new blog post. Oh, it wasn't not, me. It's it was not you. Uh, so um, yes, but uh, I did write that. <laughs> but um, I've been in asking people five questions, and I've been doing that for many months. I don't know when the last time I wrote an actual one, I started writing. Cause I realized that I wanted to hear about other people. Mm-hmm. And then I also was like, if you're going to have a website that's like them, you know, like something like craftivism.com, you got to be able to like bring it. And I've had it for 13 years and not brought it. And I was like, I want to show people the breadth of projects that fit into craftivism. And, and so I started doing, looking at a lot of hashtags on Instagram Doing a lot of Googling. People would tell me about projects. Um, And so I just found people through... A lot through Instagram and through a lot of random Googling. And was like, hey, do you want to come talk about your project? And that's kind of awkward, but I've kind of gotten over it. Because I'm like, some people don't want to do that. And that's totally fine. But luckily, there are a lot of people that do. Right. And so that feels good. So, um I realized that, like, sharing these voices is has been fun. And that's what the book was about, too, was sharing that they're different voices. And maybe, you know, it's not just me or, uh, you know, it's, like, people... Because, like, I, when I started writing about craftivism, I kept it super broad. And people got mad at me for a long time because they annoyed because I wouldn't come up with, like, like rules or any kind of, you know kind of like definitive thing, but that was the, missing the point to me because the point was, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna talk about something broad that I think everybody can connect to with and everybody has a different voice. Everybody has their own interests. Everybody has their own skills and crafts. So I'm gonna say, can you use your craft to make the world a better place? You know, if you wanna hone that down a little bit, I'll help you, but you probably could come up with something really awesome. And then it goes, and then craftivism is just kind of this umbrella term that what it, it sits under. You're credited with inventing this term. Well, I'm credited, but I didn't invent it as a thing. I was at a knitting circle, and I was talking about the connection between craft and activism, and this woman, her name was Buzz, who I, I don't think, I haven't seen her in like 12 years at this point, and she was like, you could call it craftivism, and I was like, yeah, and so, um, so I guess I could say I popularized it, so after the knitting circle, then this was like, craftivism, well, you know, this was 2002, so we didn't have iPhones, so I had to wait until I got home, and then like, (laughs) don't know, dial up or whatever, and Google it, and there were four usages of the term, by the Church of Craft, which was an organization that started in New York and I think in LA, and um, or in around maybe two thousand and one, and where they would come and like the the kind of worship was kind of more of like a meditation, and then they would craft together, and they had had some workshops. I think it was like making cards for people in retirement homes or something, and and I was like, wow, this is a really good opportunity to use a word that's made up that has been on the internet of grand total four times and then track where it goes. Like, that was really fascinating to me. It was never about, like, millions of people are going to find me. It was always, like, where can this word go? Mm-hmm. Who can find it? And then how did they find it? But millions of people, I don't know if millions of people yeah, are finding you, but millions. I found you.
0: <laughs> and <clears throat> I, um... Another book I assigned to my students is Rizika Parker's Subversive nice. Stitch, and I see that you were in the yeah, new that intro. A, that
1: was unexpected.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I'm like, oh, that's legit.
1: Like, I know, right? I was like, <laughs> I don't think, I, I didn't know that I was in it until, I don't know if I read it or someone told me, and, and, and I was like, are you kidding me? Like, Okay. That
0: is insane, but... Uh, so do a lot of people... She didn't contact you then at no, all.
1: No, that happens a
0: lot now. <laughs> yeah. Which, like... But I noticed you don't have a
1: Wikipedia page. I do not. Because... But I'm not making my own. That's real want. Do you want me to make one for you? You do not need to make me because one. Because... If you feel the need, it's funny. I will not say no. The reason
0: I know... Well, first of all, I, I Googled you because I'm coming to interview you. But also, UGA recently had a... I forget what they call it, but it's basically a Wikipedia session where people come and try the hack- to add is women. A,
1: is that hackathon? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. So
0: they try to, you know, up the number of women on Wikipedia. Right. And they were like, "If you can think of anybody," and I'm like, "Hmm, I wonder if Betsy's on Wikipedia. I can make her a page <laughs> Aww, and go to this event." Nice. Yeah, you
1: could. I I can make you a Wikipedia page. If we need you to get feel you like on there. Like it needs to be there. I will. <laughs> well, yeah. you're on there in terms of craftivism. But I think I'm like. I'm I'm whatever color you are when you don't have your own page. Right. you don't have a link. You're, you don't have a link color. I think it I'm just like says red Betsy or something. Betsy Greer,
0: um, as, you know whatever your association with the term craftivism. And but it's uh, you're not. There's no link I'm not to your cool name. You are cool enough. Yeah. You are cool enough. Oh, thanks. You
1: are good enough. Yeah, but I yeah, knew I definitely wasn't gonna make my own. And I didn't want to. So uh, oh, I'll make one for you. Oh my gosh, thank you so That'll much. That'll be awesome. We'll have so you on Wikipedia. My mom will be like, "What?" So <laughs> you're official now.
0: To talk more about the South, so you're telling me you don't write all your blog posts, but I was interested in this one blog post about this woman named Catherine Hicks and yeah. this Hide a Hat project. It was Texas, in Texas. In Texas. It's funny to me that it's called Hide a Hat. And she's making these teeny little They're pink, so cute. pink pussy hats, right, right? That are the sign of liberals now. Mm-hmm. And She's hiding them
2: mm-hmm.
0: and and this I feel like came up in the craftivism book a lot that people do craft because they don't want to be offensive they're kind of quiet about their activism and don't want to get in people's faces about it so and I think she even mentioned that on there that she didn't want to I don't know she you know her point was, she's putting this, these things out there. Anybody could find them. Mm-hmm. If a person who is kind of feeling down about the current state of politics and is not a red state person mm-hmm. finds them, then they'll be like, oh, there are others of us. Yeah. And then <clears throat> if someone who is a proud red state person finds them, then she had some kind of thing on there that was like, you know, there are people who think differently
1: than you. Right that was really interesting to me I like the cards that she put with them and like I think that what's good about craft is that I don't that um maybe this won't be true for people that are younger than us um hopefully it will but like I remember my grandmother knitting I remember um like so I have this like good kind of memory of craft Mm -hmm. and it's homey and it's domestic and warm and and good and and so finding craft and taught and seeing craft pieces I think evokes that in a lot of people whether they know it or not and so I think that finding a craft object for people is kind of this personal moment I don't think they realize it you know what I mean there's but I think it makes people feel really good in a way that sometimes I I like art I think it's you know, good and important and all that, but I think sometimes it can be alienating. Absolutely. Whereas craft has this kind of warm, homey, domestic feel to it, which is totally different. So, I like the idea of the, of like hiding things and then people coming across them and and having this like moment of finding this craft object that's really pulling into me. Because if you're finding something and it's tucked away, you probably are by yourself. Right. Because if you're talking with someone, you're probably not going to notice.
0: And it's a quiet thing. You know, and for a long time, I even would mention this to my students when I was teaching art appreciation. I felt like I was one of those people that if I saw a painting that was in your face and political, it turned me off. Mm -hmm. Um, I wouldn't want to engage with it because I felt like I was being preached to or whatnot. Right. Where I feel that a lot of, um, you know, craft doesn't usually do that. But now I'm worried. I'm trying to come out of the closet as, you know, a liberal and atheist, all these things that as a southerner, my whole life, I've been that person that just sits quietly while everybody else talks. And I completely disagree with everything that's being said, but I never spoke up. Right. So this is my way of doing that, you know, out there with the podcast. I'm being totally out. Right. It's actually quite scary. Yeah. And the, you know, this Catherine Hicks, she talks about that. Like, being the things that I am and apparently that she is and being in the South, you, there are a lot of situations where you can't really have an open conversation about that. Like, people don't want to listen. um, And they don't want, you know, I I feel like as a woman also, I didn't really have the authority to make those kind of statements. I don't know, like I was encouraged to be quiet. Um, So that's my only problem with this is like, a lot of these projects that are hidden, I feel like kind of encourage that being quiet mode with, I I don't want to say with the opposition, but with like people who think differently than you and i'm i always i feel like now that i'm back from new york it's my job as a southerner to not be quiet when those situations come up because right. i'm kind of hating myself for all the times that i didn't say anything when somebody said something to me that was like you know that i should have stepped in and stood up for myself and right. for other people you know if it's like if you hear somebody say something completely racist and you don't say anything right you know
1: yeah i think that i don't know I, I think that these projects like Like, the hide a hat and fight back. What I I see in that is, especially in hiding them in in red states, is that you're reminding people they aren't alone. And I think that um, that's really important. And you never know what that's going to spark. Because I think if you are in environments where everyone is saying horrible things, and sometimes when people say horrible things speaking up um, is probably the right thing to do, but sometimes it's dangerous. Right. And and so you have to kind of say, well, um, am I going to change this person's mind? Is this going to escalate? And is it worth my safety? A lot of times it's dangerous,
0: right. which is why I feel like this is a scary thing for me on this right. podcast. Like I have been confronted even when I drive a Prius, right. <laughs> you know, like, just because I drive a Prius, people have gotten up in my face. Oh, gosh. And gotten really nasty with me. Well, you're further south than
1: I am. Yeah. I'm in kind of the purple <laughs> zone. Uh, but that
0: sucks. I mean, even in Athens, which is a blue bubble in right. a red state, I had a Clinton uh, poster, not poster, but, you know, a yard sign. Right. Got stolen out of my front yard. Oh, my gosh. Um, and I went to go get another one from Gwena Looney, who was the former um, very liberal-leaning mayor of Athens that right. was at, it just happened to be at the place when I went there. And I was like, somebody stole my sign. And she's like, a lot of them have been stolen. She was telling me different stories of, Crazy. you know. And I, to me, that's violent. And it's they came into my yard and yeah. took something. Like, there's no respect there. You know, it's like you said. And there are a lot of situations. And people carry guns. Yeah. You know, so... I don't know. It you do have to judge. Is this a situation where I'm going to be in danger if I take a stand? But I also feel like uh, there's so many people out there that feel like
1: everyone agrees with them in the yeah. South. So that's what I like about craft, and I think that um, that's what I really like about. That's why this whole kind of craftivism thing, kind of the the impetus, is that it's um, it can open a conversation that is difficult. Hmm. because you see work and you think mm, because it is homey it is safe it is soft and cuddly and whatever um and then maybe it says you know resist or something on it or is a is a pussy hat or a tiny pussy hat <laughs> and uh and then um so at first you kind of wonder like what is it did someone someone made this like you can talk about the act of making and then segue into more difficult things if you want. And then you, if it's getting bad, you can tiptoe right back out. And then talk about the craft. So it's a more a gentler way of talking about
0: hard issues. I wonder if the pussy hat is even gentle at all at this point because it's so divisive.
1: It's true. <laughs> but I guess like the I guess you could say with the tiny ones, people are like what. Someone probably... made this teeny tiny hat. Like, you know, yeah. like, uh, so it's, uh, and there's a woman on campus, uh, on UNC's campus that that walks around wearing a pussy hat and knitting. Mm. I've seen her twice now. <laughs> and the other day she walked by, and she's a student, I guess, and, uh, that was my car and I was, like, stopped in traffic. And I'm like, I gotta get a photo! Because, it, and then she walked by again the other day, just, like, knitting. <laughs> I was like, wow, that, I think that, uh. Because I still have my hat somewhere. Oh, it's right down here. I still have my hat. <clears throat> and, uh, I actually, the Fuller Craft Museum is collecting them hmm. for a show next year. And I think I'm going to send my this sh- to them. But, uh, because I was like, I still have my hat because I'm like, I can wear it. And then I kind of felt like, I don't know if I want to wear it around. Not beca- because it is the South. <laughs> and, like... Um, I don't know. I felt weird. I wore mine at the March and felt very proud of wearing it at the march, and felt there's definitely a reason for it. And I feel the same way. I didn't go to the march,
0: you know, I have kids, and it was difficult for me to yeah. figure that whole scenario out. But I did make a hat and send it to a random stranger. That's nice. um you know, per right. the per the parameters of the project, right. But I thought about making another one for myself to wear, and I had the same thought. I was like, am I going to wear this to the grocery store? No, because I didn't want to have that confrontation with strangers.
1: Because now it's definitely a statement. Right. It's, uh, like, it's definitely a, yeah, it's a, (laughs) almost a brand. (laughs) Like, a literal brand, you know, like, uh, this is who you are, and, uh. Which I also can see can be could be shutting down conversation as well. I don't know about you, but I didn't learn a lot of. Like, I did learn like how to cross stitch my grandmother, but it's like I didn't learn a ton of like craft skills or anything. And I think a lot of that I learned how to play basketball mm-hmm. and soccer, and I think part of that is. Due to the almost a backlash of the domestic, in the late seventies and early eighties of, you need to you know we're girls we're gonna go play basketball we can do this too kind of attitude, versus, um, what that may not have been your experience though, but well, that was
0: that was not really my ex- my experience was more like the we can bring home the bacon and fry it up in a pan right my mom was a housewife right, but she she did the crafts but she did the 70s crafts which were all like kits so there was no create there was nothing yeah macrame like the cross stitch kits and like rugs yes lachic rugs i use those in my own art all of that kind of stuff right but it wasn't creative it was like you follow these instructions and it was also like you know it wasn't a homey kind of craft it was more like Women are out, and they have jobs now, right. and they don't have time to do craft, but you still have to make your house look good because, you know, right. you bring home the break- bacon, and you fry it up in the pan. Right. So, like, you're you're feeling guilty. So, craft was like, here's a quick little craft project, and you can do this, and you're still domestic, right. and you're doing your business stuff. But, you know, my mom wasn't doing the business stuff. She was just doing the domestic. Right. Um, and to me, I was like, what is this... Why do I have to do cross stitch in a kit? Like it's like busy work to me. Right. And I, so I had a really kind of negative attitude about crafts growing up because right. it was given to me as a child as like, go sit in this corner and be quiet and do this cross stitch.
1: Yeah, my 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 experiences with craft, other than like my learning from my grandmother, were like summer camp, mm. where it was like, it was kind of like the the precursor of everybody gets a trophy, you know, because like nothing was bad. Right. And, uh, like, even though it may have looked horrible, it was not bad because it was craft. And I, I guess I took the attitude forward towards my own craft, like, you made this. It is not bad. And so my experience, I had an art class in college where the professor was a total jerk to me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was like, man... Art is the worst for a long time I was like art is terrible people are mean you know like and uh I hated it and when I when I got older I kind of got over it but and then there was this whole kind of art versus craft kind of thing and and so I kept coming back to this Welcoming crafting of let me teach you this and versus like I'm not going to tell you how I made this because this is my that is personal so property. true
0: and that's what I encountered at Pratt it was very <laughs> kind of a lot of that this is my secret recipe
1: exactly and that's and I want to be like open source and like let me share this with you because that's so much more fun than being secretive. There's a podcast called Raise Your Hand and Say Yes, and do you know the jealous curator. Yes. She was interviewed twice by Tiffany Hahn. And uh, and her most recent interview with her is all about... There's about... I don't know if... Actually, I've been listening to two of them. Because there are two of them that were taken like a year apart. And one of them is about... She also had a really bad art experience and then stopped making art for 20 years. Wow. Because someone said her art was bad. And then now, like later on in, in one of the shows they talk about her you know the show she had at Sachi, you know mm-hmm. and so was she and this get dismantling this inner critic and it was really interesting and it was like someone else had a bad experience with art lots I of people yeah. I and mean, you know
0: it's not uncommon
1: right but it's good to hear people talking about these bad experiences because you like you know again you think you're the only one but and so I think for years I was so negative about art and and so it's kind of one of those horrible situations where someone's a jerk to you. So you become hardened against right. the art world. And, and then you become kind of a jerk <laughs> because someone was a jerk to you. And, um, and I guess I just want to be a permission giver to creativity regardless of what if you call yourself an artist or a crafter. And after showing things on gallery walls now, that was always really weird to me. Um, it does, it's happened to me a handful of times But um, it's happened And then now I'm just showing my The pieces at the Fuller Craft Museum was like oh my God, What? A museum? So uh, But then it's like once it goes on a wall Calling yourself a crafter is weird Because of the utilitarian Base of craft It's weird to For me it was like Well do I call myself an artist
2: now?
1: like what I so I had a kind of a a, a so you do call yourself a crafter and you're a writer you called yourself a writer i just kind of, call myself yeah I usually I just say that I make stuff (laughs) you know maker is the hot term yeah maker because it it kind of glosses over everything it's not craft it's not art because it's hard like what would you say about like well I guess you're making art that is craft and calling it using craft elements but for me putting like my cross stitch pieces like that that the these are dangerous times piece which was in ireland uh or taken from graffiti in ireland was on a gallery wall and it's been on several gallery walls and that was really hard for me to say that it was a crafter it felt weird because you see photos of people looking at it like it's a very different context. So right. to me, it's important to be an artist.
0: Right. I want that intellectual stamp of approval. I want, you know, for the my inner issues and my the the way that I've come to be to be validated by the right. art world that was an ass to me to begin with. Like right. to me, it's important that I come back to that same world and succeed. Right. So I always call myself artist. Like just straight out of the box, I'm going to take that mantle and I'm going to go with that, you know? So I don't know. I, because there is a hierarchy and clearly those fine art galleries are at the top of the hierarchy.
1: But I think a lot of people, what always got on my nerves about people in galleries um, that are kind of high up is that a lot of them aren't necessarily creative themselves Oh right. Which, well, you mean the gallery owners? I'm just saying a lot of people that, that act as gatekeepers <clears throat> yeah. aren't necessarily doing anything themselves. Well, this is so interesting. So then it's very hard for me to respect them when they tell me that this is bad because they have done nothing, and except for and and when I first started writing for my uh, graduate degree, I I was like, I'm gonna put people up. I mean, or you know, uh, push people up. I'm not gonna I'm, I'm not gonna tear down anyone's work. Because that is mean. And I'm not, <laughs> and I don't wanna have a career based on being mean. I wanna I want to share people with a broader audience and and so that's how I've been for the past 13 years. And that to me is really important because, you know, because sometimes I do work, sometimes I don't, and I don't wanna be one of those people that says, no, this is X, this is Y whatever you're bad because that's a horrible thing to do to people and it's a really it's a really lame thing to do to do to people if you aren't making work yourself right i see what you're saying there
0: and i've i've worked in galleries in new york um so i see how they operate on the inside right and you know a lot of times it's about control i mean the gatekeepers want to be gatekeepers because they want to be powerful right you know and I recently went to the CAA, the College Art Association Conference in New York, mm-hmm. and it's funny because there was a lot of talk about this division between the intellect and the intuitive, mm-hmm. and it was like, you know, all feminist panels, right? So like the intuitive being devalued. Right. Um, <clears throat> which I think goes right along with this power structure. Right. Because if you don't know the language to begin with, like I said, the work I was making was valid, right. but I didn't know how to explain it correctly. Right, right. If I would have had the correct undergraduate education, I could have come in there and then they would have been like, "Oh, yeah. Okay. She knows what she's talking about." And it would have been fine. Right. But instead, I was just like in tears because they were saying these horrible things about my paintings which really weren't even true, but right. I didn't know how to defend them, you
1: know? Right.
0: So, I don't know. I I struggle with this a lot because I don't think there should be no gatekeepers per se. I mean, I don't know. The word gatekeeper is problematic to me, but I think that you do have to have editors,
1: I guess, yeah, I think because there's exist. so much. You know, they have to exist too. But I think that I think it's important for me to say if you're curating something, which I have curated stuff before, to be able to say that's not what I'm looking for for this versus that is bad. I may sound pretty negative about art, but I have learned to, uh, to cross that divide over, over over time. But, and I I really wish that maybe I'd met other people that were a little more positive (laughs) from the beginning. Uh, then maybe I would be doing stuff with both worlds. I guess I am now, but it took a long time to get to that point.
0: Thanks, Betsy, for being a permission giver and for giving me permission to talk to you. If you want to join Betsy in the force for good, you can participate in her You Are So Very Beautiful project by making a small handmade affirmation of your own and sending it to her P.O. Box. You can find specific instructions on her website, craftivism.com. You can find a link to craftivism.com, along with links to other items we referenced in our conversation and pictures of our visit by going to my website, VivianLiddell.com, that's V-I-V-I-A-N-L-I-D-D-E-L-L.com. I'll keep you posted on that Wikipedia page. If one of you is a Wikipedia master and beats me to it, you can get in touch and let me know by filling out the contact form on the Peachy Keen website. If you'd like to support the podcast, please go to Patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and search for Peachy Keen to pledge. There's all kinds of fun stuff for rewards on there, including a secret recipe. Thanks for listening, and I hope your day is peachy keen.